Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. O Trinity 9, O Luke chapter 16, what in the world does this text mean? I feel like if uh, you were talking with all the pastors I was talking with this last week, you'd probably ascertain this information. This is probably one of the least favorite texts to preach on in the one-year lectionary. In fact, if it were up to the pastors, I highly doubt they would have ever chosen Luke chapter 16 to preach on during the course of this year. For these are the words that we hear. The master commended the unrighteous manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of life. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Not an easy text. But we go back to the roots of these parables to find out what Jesus is teaching and take it little at a bit, a little at a time. Jesus' parables are meant to teach us about the kingdom of God. And so we know that much. We know that whatever it is in this parable, Jesus desires to teach us about our eternal dwellings. So what is it that we must know? The above verses, which are often so hard to understand for many, are the key to understanding Jesus' teachings today in our text. For the unrighteous man is commended, not for his evil, but for doing whatever it would take so that he would have a place to go within his managerial stint had come to an end. That unrighteous man doing unrighteous things with unrighteous wealth was willing to face the cruelty and the punishment of the master should the master find out that he had cheated him out of even more of his manager's wealth. The manager, no doubt, after surveying his life and his ability, thought his actions were the only thing left. It would be worth it, worth the risk, if it meant that his life would be secure when he was booted from his job. And that's what Jesus teaches us here. About eagerness. About devotion to secure for ourselves that which is necessary. That which is eternal. For Jesus teaches us that we should pursue the kingdom of God with equal if not greater zeal than the man had for securing for himself on this earth a temporal dwelling. But it also has more. For if you look at this manager, according to this parable, it would teach us that he had failed in this life to be a steward of more than just his master's assets. He failed in being a steward of his own. Of the gifts of which God had given him, he did not have one bit of it left. And as a result of his failure to steward his own gifts, he was driven further and further into sin. He admits his body had become weak, no doubt a result of his lack of self-control. He did not have respect or discipline within his work, and so that carried in all aspects of his life. So it is only fitting that his body would be let go as well. His stewardship of wealth was also terrible, no doubt contributing to his weak body and This is what he says, that he was too 
proud to beg. He was ashamed of it. Because over all of these years, in squandering his wealth on luxurious and selfish living, he had made an image for himself in the community. Now what would they think if they saw him on the street like a common person with no money? He had no land, no home, no family, no friends, and no hope. He was a poor steward of every gift that God had given him. He could not manage his own. He certainly could not manage someone else's. He was sitting on the top in the master's house. But our text today tells us that he was about to be sent to the bottom in the ditches and in the streets. His poor stewardship and selfish living drove him deeper and deeper into sin and unrighteousness. And this is a point for us. For the same thing can happen to us. If we are not good stewards of our gifts, which come from God's hands, then we too can end up in the ditches. For our bodies are a gift of the Lord, just as our wealth and our mind are. It is likely that we will too be driven deeper and deeper into sinful things if we fail to be good stewards of these gifts. Because we will try to find a way to rescue ourselves from temporal peril, no matter the risk, just as we see from this unrighteous steward. But God calls us to be righteous stewards of our temporal wealth, to live godly lives which are pleasing to Him. But He doesn't do this because He doesn't want us to have fun or enjoy His creation. He says this so that our wealth, our bodies, Our minds do not rule over us. We are to take care of our bodies which God has given us, nourishing them with the right amount of food and exercise so that we always stand ready to serve, help, and protect our neighbors when they are weak or in need. We should be wise managers of our money, not so that we become the Scrooge that we hear around Christmas, but so that we are ready and able to use it to help our neighbor and care for their needs, to feed them, house them, and clothe them when they have fallen upon hard times. We should be wise in all aspects of our mind, for we know that our mind is the thing that we should fill with good things. For the mind one hears and remembers the word of God, and with the mind one recalls that word and gives witness to the mighty works of God and calls for his neighbor also to come near so that they can learn of the mercy which God has shown to all of us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you think about our Lord's Prayer, which some of you learned today in the Bible study, we ask God not to lead us into these sorts of temptations, which means we pray that our Father in Heaven would deliver us from all manners of evil, of body and soul, property and honor. The same things of which this unrighteous steward was being tempted to forsake. You see, if you were to gather all the world's wealth and pile it on a single continent, or I imagine that's how big the pile of wealth would be, and then you were to gather all your wealth and put it right next to it, what would you realize about your temporal wealth? I think you would realize that your wealth is but a speck of a speck of a speck in comparison to the world's. 
And yet, our devotion, our pursuit of temporal security is so great. We work or have worked five, six, seven days a week, scarcely taking days off or vacations, maybe even finding an impedance to our Sunday worship for something that is a speck of a speck of a speck, temporal and passing away. And so Jesus tells us with this parable that if our devotion is so great for these temporal things, it should be even greater for those things which will last to eternity. Jesus is telling us that our stewardship of earthly treasures will not be forever. All must die and all must give an account. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. Our authority over money, goods, wealth, child, and wife will all one day come to an end. And what then will happen? Thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us to ponder this question for too long. He answers it for us. He answers our end-of-life question. He says, I tell you, make for yourselves friends by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Our righteous wealth is in Christ. It will not fail. But our unrighteous wealth is something passing, to be used to care for those around us. It is just as we have saying in the, world, in the words of, what is the world to me? What is the world to me? My Jesus is my treasure, my life, my health, my wealth, my friend, my love, my pleasure, my joy, my crown, my all, my bliss eternally. Once more then I declare, what is the world to me? Jesus isn't just your Sunday morning cup of tea. He's everything. Every aspect of your life. Jesus must permeate it. Since Jesus tells us our earthly wealth will fail, we are directed to those things which will not fail. The Christian does not work himself to death for the things which are of this earth, but he strives even into death for the things which are sure and certain. And he uses this earthly treasure to make friends, friends with the gospel, to feed, clothe, and house his neighbor, ultimately showing the love of Christ with their deeds and witnessing to the love of Christ with their words. Eternal wealth and treasure is certain. You have it all. That much is true. For it was Christ who secured your salvation through his perfect life and obedience into death by taking your sins, your greed, your covetousness, all upon himself. He rose from the dead to give you an everlasting inheritance which no thief can break in and steal, which no devil can wrest from your hand. All this he did for you. He knew that your salvation could so easily be lost in your hands. So God the Father did not leave it to you, but left it to his Son to accomplish and secure for you, so that you may always have it, an inheritance which will not depart. Where do you come by this inheritance? It is by means of your holy baptism, something that Bradley now has as a joy and a member of this church 
not of our congregation, but of the church Catholic, God's heavenly host. He is now a member seated with Christ in the heavenly places, promised eternal life just as we are. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is now Bradley's Father, and his pursuit is the same as ours, a pursuit of a treasure which is the pinnacle of our existence for it gives eternal life. Our lives should be lived in such eager devotion to serve Jesus and Jesus alone. And since we ourselves have no need in excess of temporal wealth, for our true wealth lies in heaven, it should be used in support of the gospel and to care for our neighbor in need. When Jesus says to us that we should make friends by means of unrighteous wealth, I want you to consider the life of Christ. He was a friend of sinners, was he not? He provided for them their needs of health and body, food and clothing. He cared for them unto death, even death upon the cross. He claimed no temporal shelter on this earth, but as he himself has said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. Christ's eternal pursuit was perfect. It was for us and for our well-being that he gave up all temporal comfort and pleasure so that he may serve us with the eternal gift of the gospel. And it is set before you this day in word and sacrament. You are here in the holy ark of the Christian church where he protects us from the attacks of the evil one. It is in this fellowship of believers that Jesus watches over the faithful stewarding of his gifts of grace to the church. And it is here that the Holy Spirit enlivens your faith, strengthens your resolve, and leads you to seek him where he may be found. So take comfort, O children of God. Christ is here for you. The eternal wealth of the church has come to us from the side of Christ which was pierced on the cross. The Spirit, the water, and the blood, these three testify to the salvation we have. The blood and the water which pours from his side bring us true safety, true security, salvation. Our relationship to unrighteous wealth has now been transformed so that it has become a means for us to care for those who are hungry, thirsty, and naked. For those ones will be those on the last day, on the judgment day, who will bear witness to the works which we have done in faith and in service to Christ. For Christ will turn to those good and faithful servants who have lived their life by faith, not caring for their temporal dwellings or seeking up great riches for themselves but trusting in him for all things. And he will say to them, what you have done to the least of these, my brothers, you have done unto me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.